man. Our verse this week is verse number 29, but I want to begin just a little above that if I can, and then there's some things I want to work my way through. Uh, Jeremiah 23 and verse number 24, if we could begin there this evening. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Who said that? Do not I fill heaven and earth? Who said that? I have heard what my prophet said. That prophesy lies in my name. Saying I have dreamed. I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Who's talking? He's still talking, isn't he? Yea. They are prophets of deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. The prophet that hath a dream then let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, he that hath my word, then let him speak my word faithfully. Anybody here old enough to remember the phrase hi-fi? Anybody? I know some of y'all were spinning before there were CDs. Anybody here still have a turntable? I do. I still have one. What did hi-fi mean? Hi what? Fidelity. You know what another word for fidelity is? Faithful. It's true. He said, if the prophet's going to speak my word, let him say it with fidelity, with faithfulness. What is the chaff to the wheat? He said, I want him to declare... What is the chaff to the wheat? And who said it? Is not my word like as a fire? Saith the Lord. And like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets. Who's talking? That steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongue, but said, he saith. I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord. And do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies, by their likeness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all. I didn't send them. They're not going to profit my people. What a powerful, powerful chapter. 
I'm going to let you be seated tonight as we work our way through some of this chapter. I, I don't know how far we'll make it tonight, but I spent, I spent quite a bit of time yesterday morning in my devotion time with the Lord dissecting this chapter. And God began to speak some things to me about this chapter. And I understand Jeremiah was the weeping prophet speaking concerning the nation of Israel as a people. And that when the Lord said that they cause my people to err, he was speaking about Israel. But is there anybody in the house tonight that would disagree with the idea that the word of the Lord that came to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah would certainly be suitable for us in this day and time? Anybody here that would believe that? Is there anybody here that believes that if, if the Lord despised the words of a false prophet in Jeremiah, do you think he's okay with it right now? Do you think the Lord, if he was against men using giftings, even prophetic giftings in, in error, and blaming it on God, do you think if that made God's stomach turn in Jeremiah, do you think it would make his stomach turn today? Um, I want to be very careful as I ease into this tonight because there's some things that I do want to get to that I feel like I'd be remiss if I don't. But I want to tell you that uh, there are some serious, serious issues, especially in North America. I'll speak specifically for North America tonight. With uh, false prophets, we'll just call them what they are. False prophets that are doing what they're doing for personal gain. I don't know how else to say this to you other than the fact that in the church world today as we know it, TV evangelists and uh, big time people that we see preaching uh, public places, um, they have turned the church into a, a big money business. And they're the very reason why people are reluctant to obey God in their giving. All you have to do is go to YouTube, find one of these televangelists that are preaching on tithing, listen for 10 minutes, and you'll hear the corruption in the teaching. And if you scroll down the page and you start reading the comments, be very careful if you do, you're going to find out the way that people feel about the kingdom of God, but it's really not the kingdom of God that they despise. It is the perverted idea about the kingdom of God that they despise. I spoke briefly about this. I believe it was Sunday morning. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Sunday morning talking about God's idea and creation was perfect. That his plan was perfect. I want to tell you tonight that giving as it was written in the scripture for our understanding was a perfect plan. The reason that the Lord dealt with giving the way he did and when he did is because he wanted it to be certain that giving is relational with God and it is not about the law. 
Tithing predated the law. Melchizedek predated the law. Tithing was a principle that God was trying to help us understand that was actually established in the book of Genesis in creation long before even Abram paid his tithing to Melchizedek. The reason that Cain's offering was not received is not because he did not bring blood. The principle that we've missed, and I've heard it preached before, the Lord said he wanted a blood sacrifice. I actually couldn't find that. What I found is that Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel was a keeper of the flock. It would have not made sense for Cain to go over to Abel's flock, get one of his sheep, and bring that to the Lord as a sacrifice. Because Cain was not invested in the flock. He was invested in the soil. Giving to the Lord is to happen out of what we're invested in. Where we have drawn that payment to us. So when Cain brought that to the Lord, the issue was not with the substance of his offering. It was with the priority of his offering. The reason the Lord did not receive that offering is because it was not first fruit. In other words, he brought God his leftovers. He brought God his cold seconds. Now, I'm not too proud to eat leftovers, folks. I like leftovers. But I tell you, there is a vast difference of time. In that meal that is freshly prepared when your wife sets it on the table today and it's so good and hot and fresh. And tomorrow you take it and put it in a microwave. Still good. But it's not nearly as good seconds as it was on the first draw. It's because anytime something is left over, we don't want to gripe about it, but it's still left over. You can figure out all you want to try, you know, you just can't take good fried chicken and make it as good tomorrow. It's just something about fried chicken, you, you can't, if it's fried, you can have wonderful fried chicken today, but it's not good tomorrow. Now, I've, I've ate it cold. Anybody here had fried chicken for breakfast cold? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, my point is simply this. God knows when we're bringing him leftovers. But what what we're missing is that the system God put in place was about putting him first. Not about expanding a man's kingdom. And false prophets are using God's perfect system to make for themselves an empire and the Lord said in his word these are men that are dreaming dreams of their own and saying God said to me I have serious issue with false prophets when the only thing that ever comes out 
of their mouth is prosperity. Church family, I want to tell you, you can search this book from Genesis to Revelation. And you're not going to find anywhere in this book a principle that says, if you sow $1,000 into your local ministry, then God is going to move you out of your poorhouse and give you a mansion and make you a millionaire. It is a terrible, terrible principle that has been put out and they do it in the name of the Lord. Now, I want to tell you something that may surprise you. I believe, I'm going on record, I believe in prosperity doctrine. But I don't believe in their prosperity doctrine. Let me tell you why I believe in prosperity doctrine. Because prosperity doctrine was perfect in the beginning. When the Lord created man, the first words that mankind ever heard in the garden was be blessed, be fruitful, and multiply. It was prosperity. It was the plan of God. But understand that godly prosperity from the beginning was only taking place in the perfect will of God. When God told Adam to be fruitful and multiply, he lost that dominion and authority when he and his wife sinned and God kicked them out of the garden. My problem with modern prosperity doctrine is it says this, do whatever you want to do, live however you want to live, and God is still going to bless you, he is still going to prosper you, he is still going to send wealth to you, and I'm telling you today, it is not the will of God for mankind to be blessed in the name of the Lord with a blessing from heaven when they're not pleasing heaven. Woo, I hope y'all put your seatbelts on tonight. I told Brother Stephen in my office tonight before church, I wish somebody else was teaching this tonight because I want to teach to you some things. I said, I don't want this to just sound like I'm on my soapbox. But the Lord spoke through Jeremiah and he said there are some counterfeit prophets that are working in Israel. Their fathers were wicked. Their fathers were prophets of Baal. And now they're manipulating people. They're working through the people of God. And the Lord said I'm not behind them. I'm not blessing them. My hand is not on them. I have not ordained them. Amen. I'm not endorsing them. Folks, is there anybody here tonight that if I were to give you a $100 bill, you would gladly receive it? Come on now, you can be honest. I don't need nobody in here lying now. Anybody in here be turning down free $100 bills? I don't know why anybody in here would want a good $100 bill because there are so many counterfeit $100 bills in the world, I'm not sure I'd want to take a real one. Nobody believes that, do you? But why is it that we allow counterfeit prophets to rip away the voice and the power? Listen, folks, this is the prophet. Somebody say the prophet. This is the prophet Jeremiah talking, the Lord speaking through him, about false prophets. It took a real prophet to expose a false prophet. 
I'm saying that I'm tired of the church being held captive, being quieted down, being pushed to the back, shutting down the gifts of the Spirit because of counterfeit prophets. Listen, counterfeit prophets are trying to gain for themselves. They're trying to enlarge their kingdom. If you see a prophet of God, you're going to know he's a prophet of God because he is exposing spirits that are trying to take away and manipulate in the kingdom of God. We have a defense for people who make such comments as I was referencing a few moments ago on YouTube that the kingdom of God, quote unquote, has become a money-making scheme. You know what? Their kingdom has become a money-making scheme. But the kingdom of God is perfect. It's got the right thing. It's together. It works. It makes sense. But understand me when I tell you tonight, I really, really do feel like that God, instead of us in the end time shutting down prophetic voices, I believe that God is going to begin to expose real, authentic powerful prophetic voice I do not believe that we're going to move into the coming of the Lord without there being prophetic voices in the earth why because as it took a real prophet of God in the book of Jeremiah to expose a false prophet it's going to take a prophetic voice in the New Testament church age to expose the darkness that is trying to destroy the church Oh, Lord Jesus. I'm not talking about people who have to sign every Christmas card and put it on the side of their card that I am prophet so-and-so. Most of the time, if you have to tell people you're a prophet, you're probably not one. Oh, my God. I want the world to know tonight beyond a shadow of a doubt that just because there is counterfeit, it does not decrease the value of the authentic. And I believe this is going to be one of the defining differences in the end time church between the apostolic movement and those that are trying to build their own kingdom. I believe right now in the earth that God has and is raising up prophetic voices that are not afraid nor ashamed they're not declaring everywhere they go you're getting money 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 you're getting a bigger house you're getting a better car no they're declaring the kingdom of God and they're declaring that there are some things that God is not going to accept and there are some things that God is not going to receive if you believe it say amen If you don't believe it, say, oh, me, really loud. Man, that worked out pretty good. I believe that just as there are counterfeit prophets, I believe that there are counterfeit doctrines. Now, I want to deal with some things right here very, very, very quickly and then try to work my way through the beginning of this chapter if I can. You know, the danger of anything that's counterfeit is the idea that it is so similar to the authentic. If I bring you $100 bills and the color ink on that is not correct, it's not going to spin. If I bring you money 
a $100 bill, but the picture is off-center, then it's not going to spend. The problem with the new revelations of our day that are moving throughout the earth, and it, it literally, as I'm speaking right now, I, I, I feel it physically manifest in my stomach. It makes me sick. The things that people blame on God. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this to be ugly. I'm not trying to be crude. This is why I said I wish somebody else was teaching this tonight. I literally get sick to my stomach. Listen, God is not going to change his mind because it's 2019 about what his church is supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like, what we're supposed to act like. Well, pastor, you got to understand, man, that's old-fashioned. That's old time. That's back in... That's, that's irrelevant now. If it was relevant, listen, these were not just people that gathered together on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. These are people that are in Corinth. They're at Ephesus. Listen, these were things that were established for the church by men of God. And do you understand that the standards of separation that were established by hair, what we dress, what we don't wear, how we do things, those were established by by apostolic men of God to be marking posts in the New Testament that did not have an expiration date on it. What they were saying is, whatever the world is doing, we do what's contrary to the world. And modern doctrines that are trying to move in are saying do what you want to do it doesn't matter if it's contrary to the world because God wants you to be happy so the danger is when the counterfeit is so close and 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 I need to deal with some things while I'm here I just want to deal with some things while I'm here I used to preach a sermon been a long time. Preach it at a couple different meetings called, if I remember right, almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And I preached, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. That was the scripture that I preached. That almost saved is always lost. But that's not a real popular message. What I want to talk to you tonight about and define some things for this church can be drawn from many, many things. But let's just draw first and foremost from the parable of the rich young ruler. Anybody here remember the rich young ruler parable? The Lord said, there's a lot of good things this man has done. He's taken care of a lot of things. And then he said, but one thing thou lackest. What, what could we say to make that really make sense? He said, you're almost there. But you lack one thing. Pastor, I just have a hard time believing that God's going to allow somebody to be lost over one thing. Then why would he put it in the Word? I was raised in, a, I guess, just a, a different generation, a different mindset. But the way that I was raised in the preaching I came up under, 
was always this kind of preaching. That I would rather get to heaven and find out I did too much. Than to get to heaven and find out I missed it by one thing. Somehow we've got this, we've got this ball like it's rolling kind of, uh, it's it's oblong like the weight's off on it. Instead of us saying, okay, what can I do to please God? The line of thinking now is, what can I get by with, and God still be pleased? Did that make sense? Instead of just saying, I want to please God. So I'll do anything I have to do to please God. We start asking it in a backwards manner. What can I get by with and God still be pleased? But my question for you, and this is how I'm trying to bring this back around as kindly as I can. Who in the world is going to be the judge of that? Like why is God going to let one man judge his congregation and say, that Bible truth doesn't matter, it's not relevant here anymore? But still hold this guy over here accountable to a different set of rules. Can I just, I, I feel my granddad coming out at me right now. Man, I feel it. Somebody's lying and it ain't God. I, 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 my wife got tickled at me Sunday night because apparently, uh, apparently Sunday night, man, I, I guess I hit my old-fashioned stride and I can't get out of it. She was laughing at me because I said, I guess I went swimming in the old-fashioned pool Sunday night. But I'm, I'm telling you, church family, I don't believe what I believe so that people will look at me and say, He's one of the most conservative young men I've ever met. I believe what I believe because the Bible says I should believe it. Okay, here we go. We're getting everybody put your floaties on. We're going to the deep end of the pool. The problem with the problem with compromise is that it's never satisfied. And this is exactly why God was speaking through Jeremiah to say, identify this false prophetic voice because they're saying things and blaming it on me. But the principle that I want you folks to get tonight, very, very, very close and dear to your heart, is that we can't afford to miss it now. It's too late in the game for us to start rearranging our belief system. We, we cannot miss it right now. And the issue is going to be how closely we work with the spirit of discernment in our lives in the end time. Because there's going to be things that identify themselves as apostolic prophetic voices. That are absolutely not apostolic prophetic voices. If, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. The, the scary thing about revelation and delusion 
is how similar they feel. And the reason they feel so similar is because they come from the same source. Boy, it's quiet. Revelation, delusion. Why do the counterfeit and the authentic feel so similar? Because they come from the same source. God said in his word that for a generation of people that do not love truth, let's talk about that, love truth. They do not love truth. I sent them a strong delusion. He does not say, I let the devil come and give them a delusion. He said, I sent them a strong delusion and caused them to believe a lie that they might be damned. That is not Pentecostal theology. It's book. Revelation comes from God. We got to walk in that path. Delusion comes from God. We've got to discern that path. The difference in the powerful, authentic, apostolic move of God in the end time is going to be discernment. Mm. It is going to be discernment. We're going to have to understand that not everything that glitters is gold. And not everything that preaches is anointed. And not everything that grows is blessed. I know it's tough on Wednesday night, but I'm trying to help somebody in here. There is only one way to walk in discernment. You cannot walk after the flesh and discern the things of the Spirit. If you're going to discern in the Spirit, it's going to be because you are led by the Spirit and you walk in the Spirit. I need the Lord to help us in this place tonight. Somebody shout discernment. Shout it loud. Discernment. How is it that God is using Jeremiah, the prophet, the weeping prophet of Israel? Folks, you got to get the drift. Jeremiah is not prophesying to the Assyrians. Jeremiah is not prophesying to the Amalekites. He is not prophesying to the Hittites, to the Perizzites. He's prophesying to the Israelites. He's prophesying to God's people and saying, we've got to get corrected. This was not a prophetic word to correct a lost nation of people and bring them into the fold. It was a prophetic word to God's people saying, turn up your discernment, turn up your discernment. You've got to hear the voice of the Lord. You've got to know what's of God. It's going to sound similar. It's going to look similar. They're going to dream dreams and blame it on me. 
Oh, Jesus. It was a prophetic word. Let me break it down Gerber style. It was a prophetic word to people that should have known better. Oh, Lord Jesus. If we as the body of Christ do not practice discernment, who in the world is going to discern in the last days? And I'm going to give you an answer. He's always had a remnant. He always will have a remnant. But while we sit sit around and rejoice about all this end time revival, let us not forget the prophetic word. There's a great falling away. Listen, falling away is a backsliding. In other words, it's uh, it's a separation. It's a dichotomy. It's a... It's a separation from something that was righteous, but no longer calls righteousness righteous. Paul said it like this. He said, they're going to call good evil. Mm. Pastor, how is it possible for somebody to get so far away that they call good evil and evil good? It's simple. They stop discerning. Almighty God. Know this that in the last days perilous times shall come. Read the whole chapter, Timothy. All he's saying is if you had discernment, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> the mark of the end time church falling away is very simply this. They cannot discern anymore because they're trying to discern by the arm of their flesh. And if it feels good to my flesh, then it must make God happy. Church family, I am so sorry for people that look at us and think we're missing out. Because we love God. Last last night... I took my, my family yesterday was my beautiful wife's birthday. And so we pulled our, our little travel trailer out here in town and hooked it up so the kids could camp. And we had a fire last night. Mamma and Papa came out and sat by the fire with us. And we were close. So it made it nice to be here today. I took my kids today in the park up to where the swimming pool was. They're not in here, so I'm, I'm not embarrassing my kids. I'm, 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 maybe they'll hear it later. But I was sitting there, and these scantily clad women came walking by. And Lauren leaned over to me, and she said, Dad, and they think we're strange for wanting to be covered up. I'm not apologizing for that. Church, listen to me. There's some things that we've missed, okay? There's some some things that we've missed. I want to tell you that catechism is not a Catholic word. I, I know some of you think catechism is just Catholic school. It's not. 
catechism simply means to repeat the same things over and over and over. So when they say they've gone to catechism, you know what they've heard? They've heard false doctrine over and over and over and over and over. Do you know what television is? It's catechism. They hear the same thing over and over. Oh, Lord Jesus. And over and over every commercial. We're missing out on this because we feel like we're going to sell our kids short if we do what Deuteronomy 6 commanded us to do. Hero Israel, let's just show it tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 6, go ahead and we, we can't even get in there and not go to verse 4. We just got to do it. I wish you'd just stand up and do it for me, Brother Lane. Shema Yisrael. Yeah, give it to me. Come on. That helps me. That is the first thing that all three of my kids heard when they came into the world. As soon as my children were born and the doctor handed them to me, the first thing they heard was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Go ahead. And these words which I command you shall be in your heart. Okay, here we go. You ready? Somebody shout catechism. Thou shalt teach them. Thou shalt teach them. You should let your pastor teach your children. Be sure that Moses comes to your house every day and tells your kids. Thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. When? When you're sitting in the house. When you're going about your way during the day. When you lie down. When you get up. Church family. A man could not function in the priesthood if he had a broken nose. That represents sensitivity and discernment in the spirit. We are literally breaking the sensitivity and discernment of another generation because of what they hear when they're in our house, of what they hear when we go about our way, of what they hear when we raise up in the morning, what they hear when they lay down at night. If the last thing they hear every night is your television blaring through the walls, that's what they're going to love. If the first thing they hear every morning is junk in your house, that's what they're going to, I'm sorry. I know it sounds like I'm trying to be a boss tonight and be ugly. I'm telling you, it's discernment. And if we don't have discernment in the end time church, we're going to be lost. Sometimes we got to back up and stop asking the question, so you're saying that'll send me to hell. We got to stop that. Not everything I do in my life is about whether or not I'm going to heaven or hell. Some things I do because if I, if I continue to do that, I cannot spiritually discern. Oh, Jesus, help me. 
Oh, you Pentecostals, you just think you're saved by works. No, I don't. I believe what the book says. And it says I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by grace through faith. That's how I'm saved. But grace don't keep me saved. Grace does not help me discern. Grace is there if I misunderstood and did not discern. Holiness is not about restriction. It is not about what you take away from your life. It is not about what we get up and preach and say, you can't go here, you can't go there, you can't wear this, you can't wear that. Understand that if I don't change my life and I continue to go where I used to go and continue to do what I used to do and continue to talk how I used to talk, I cannot discern in the Spirit. If I could not discern before the Holy Ghost, I won't discern after the Holy Ghost. Everybody doing okay? Oh, help us, Jesus. What time is it? Okay, don't shout 8.30. I know you're ready to go. I want to talk about this. Verse number 1 of chapter 23. Oh, I wish we had time to do this tonight. Jeremiah 23, verse number 1. Let's get the record straight from the get-go. Who's talking? Is this Jeremiah talking or is this the Lord speaking to his people? What did he say? Woe be to the pastors that destroy and scatter sheep in my pasture. Before God deals with the spirit of Israel... He deals with the false prophetic voice and he identifies that spirit first. What I'm saying to you is if we're going to have the move of God that we desire in the 21st century, it's not going to start on the pews. It's going to start when men stop being afraid to preach truth. Church family, listen. I, we're, I'm, I know we're online. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. There were people that stood for truth when it cost them their life. Michael Servetus, which you've heard Brother Stephen talk about, Servetus was not standing and being judged. Because he lived a separated, li- a separated life of holiness. He was burned at the stake because John Calvin hated his guts and hated his one God doctrine. And was so cruel that when he burned servants at the stake, he took the works that he had done, that he had written, that servants had written, and chained them to his body or tied them to his body so that when he died, his books would burn with him. But Servetus had taken copies of the manuscripts and hidden them. 
And they were discovered later that at every junction in history, there has always been one God, Jesus named believers, and this movement has never died. Period. We are not offspring of Azusa Street. That's not how this thing went down. This all happened the day of Pentecost. That's when it started and it hasn't stopped. But my point to you is very simply this. We think that we're heroes of the faith if we stand up and say, no, I don't believe in the Trinity. I believe in one God. But there's nobody even standing there with a torch in their hand saying, just recant, recant, recant. And I'm going to tell you why. They don't have to stand with a torch to get us to recant our doctrine or stand us by a guillotine and get us to recant our doctrine. If they look at us and and we're so feeble-minded, they don't worry about our doctrine if if they can't even make a good judgment by our lifestyle. Am I making any sense? Oh, man, I want God to help me right here. We're, we're still trying to figure out how much room and latitude do I have? What, what, what will God accept if I let this go? Is that really necessary? And while we're asking those questions with that same mouth, we'll say, well, I'm going to tell you right now, if it comes time for... Uh, Uh, for the tribulation, they're not going to get me to take the mark. It's pretty tight in here, isn't it? I'm not going to take the mark. You can forget that. It ain't going to happen, Pastor. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to take the mark. And then we go on vacation. We tell our kids, don't worry about it. Nobody from the church is here. We're on vacation. That drum's getting tighter and tighter by the second. Honey, pastor's not here. It's not going to hurt us to just social drink. I had a conversation with a young man Sunday night after church. For people that God has delivered out of that crazy, rotten lifestyle. We all know there is no such thing as one drink. I want God to captivate us with an understanding that there will be false prophetic voices that are destroying and scattering the flock. How are they doing? Let's go on to verse 2. i got to hurry up. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people, you have scattered my flock, you've driven them away, and not visited them. Behold, I will visit Upon you, the evil of your doings. I'm, God said this, I'm going to visit on you the evil of your doings. Let's keep going. I will gather the remnant of my flock. This was so awesome. I spent a lot of time here yesterday. I will gather the remnant of my flock 
out of all countries whither I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. God is saying through Jeremiah, whenever Israel comes back to Jerusalem, I'm the one that did it. My hand was on this and I took care of it. I did this. These people were scattered abroad by pastors, shepherds that knew better. And they were scattered, became the diaspora, the, the, the spreading of the people, the being cast away from Israel. And then he said, I'm going to make a way for them to come back. And I don't, I don't have time to go into all. It's incredible. Read it and mark it in your Bible. I wrote this down in my Bible yesterday. That they don't get back to Jerusalem without the hand of God being involved. This is God's handwriting. This is God doing this. So before they ever called it Palestine, God said, I'm bringing them back home to Jerusalem. So you can go ahead and write that down in the book. Before it was ever called Palestine, it was Jerusalem for God's people. If you believe it, say amen. So let's take a quick look in our exit strategy tonight at spiritual Jerusalem, at the idea that we are the people of God. Does it relate to us as it did in Jeremiah? Somebody said it doesn't relate to us anymore because we're not in the Old Testament. I'm saying to you that the principle still relates to us. If it moves us out of our root system, that's what he's getting to here. The Israelites were moved out of their root system, out of their strength, out of their strong city. And they were dispersed throughout the earth. We as the body of Christ cannot afford to let false prophetic voices uproot us out of the strength of our root system. That's why it's important to know that our root system is Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell in the upper room. That's why it's important for us to know that false prophetic voices, I don't care, I don't, it doesn't, I, I, man... I wish I had time tonight. I, I, I heard an apostolic preacher preaching just this week that for, for two centuries the West had laid in darkness until finally Martin Luther shed light and made way for truth to prevail in the West. And I almost wrecked my car. Why are we connecting ourselves to Martin Luther? The most quoted Christian by Hitler himself. And we're saying that he reformed religion so that Pentecost could be resurrected again and make a way. I say a million times no. Martin Luther didn't have anything to do with the resurrection of Pentecost because there never was a resurrection of Pentecost. Pentecost didn't die. It's never been resurrected. We've got to know our roots. Our roots go to one God. Our roots go to one Father. Our roots go to one name. Our roots do not go to a triune idea of baptism. Our roots go to the only saving name of Acts 4 and 12. Our roots go to Acts 2 and 38. This chapter, oh my God, it's such a prophetic picture of the church right now. I'm finishing. I'm done. 
He said, these false prophets have lifted you up out of your root system and have moved you all over the earth, and so God's going to have to bring them back, and I'm going to judge the pastors. Now, let me tell you right now why your pastor believes what I believe. Because I'm going to be judged by God. I wish really bad that I could get to heaven and be judged by preaching what, what people like or don't like. But I'm going to be judged by saying the Lord said we could if the Lord didn't say we could. And so with that statement, I want to make it very clear. Just because somebody says you can does not mean it's right. I probably shouldn't make reference to this, but it breaks my heart. I saw one of our pastors this week made the statement on the internet that his favorite movie has always been such and such. And he started quoting pieces out of the movie, and I thought, I, I don't think that's a very good movie. And I, I Googled it and went to looking. And it's not recommended that that movie be watched in front of children because of the language and because of the implications. And it has been giving, given a rating by the whatever it's called, I don't whatever they call that dumb thing, of R. And I was like, you know what? When we've moved from the place that people will do it secretly and don't, don't worry about people finding out. I'll just do it secretly to the place that we're actually putting it out there. I want you to know that my favorite movie is, what does that say about the church? Now we're getting so bold that as prophets, we're, we're all right with just saying, God doesn't mind anymore. I want you to stand with me tonight. God is the greatest record keeper there has ever been. And God does not care. Oh, God, I want to say this the right way. God does not care if it doesn't convict you anymore. He, well, Pastor, we don't, we don't share the same convictions. That doesn't convict me like it convicts you. I don't expect you to carry all my convictions. But if it's in the book, God doesn't care if it doesn't convict you anymore. My lack of conviction does not change the power of his word. I want you to turn to your neighbor tonight and tell him your pastor loves you. That's why he's preaching to you. Y'all remember the old song, the reason I'm in this church? What's the next line? I don't want to be lost, the reason I'm in this church. I don't want to be lost, right? The end of it, the reason I'm in this church, I don't want to be lost. I don't want to be lost when Jesus comes. There is coming a day that every single church, every single pastor, every single saint is going to stand before God. And I'm not going to stand before God and tell him what part I didn't like and I like this. Now, I like this part, so I went ahead and preached that. 
But if it's written in the word, it's right. If it's holy, it's right. It doesn't matter if it convicts me or not. It's right. Jesus said that the point, the point of grace, and I, I'm going to say this very quickly because I'm through preaching, but everybody's always comparing law and grace, dispensation of law, dispensation of grace. The law said if you commit adultery, you're stoned. Jesus said if you look at a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery. Jesus was not saying if you look over at that woman, you just committed adultery. What Jesus was saying is this is the law right here. Commit adultery, you're in trouble. He said, I'm saying if you look in the direction of that, you've already lost the battle. Basically, he's saying this. If you'll say no to going to lunch with that woman, you'll never have to heal from an adulterous affair with that woman. Law says, this is what you do, you're in trouble. Grace says, build some fences around the Torah. Build some fences around the law. Get some conviction in your life that if you'll get convicted of things that are above the law, how close can I get to that and still be guilty? You're already too close. You're too close. If you're having to ask your pastor, is this too close? The answer is yes. Build a fence around that. I don't know if that movie's wrong or not. Yes. For you, yes. Man, I don't know. I used to listen to that music all the time, and now I kind of feel weird. That's the Holy Ghost. Is it a sin for me to listen to that? Let's not ask that way. Like, that shouldn't even be the question. I want to please God. Can I still please him and do this? Probably not. But I want to please him. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do to please him. But Jeremiah said, be careful of the guys that say you can when I said you can't. Just because another pulpit says you can doesn't mean I did. I want the Holy Ghost to begin to move on us and give us convictions in our souls and our spirits that's above the law. It has nothing to do with the law. It's a conviction in my heart. I don't want to be lost. And that's why I'm in the church of the living God. If you believe it, say amen. Hallelujah.